you've been watching the news, you would think, at least from some people's perspective, that the hope of the world is dealing with climate change. At least that's what our president would tell us. But the hope of the world is Jesus. And the blessed hope is his soon return. And we turn to Titus today, chapter 2, and we read verses 11 through 14. Titus chapter 2, beginning at verse 11. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all men, instructing us to deny ungodliness and worldly desires and to live sensibly, righteously, and godly in the present age, looking for the blessed hope and the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Christ Jesus, who gave himself for us to redeem us from every lawless deed and to purify for himself a people for his own possession, zealous for good deeds. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you that you are coming again. And this passage of Scripture describes your return as the blessed hope. And thank you, Lord, that we can rejoice in that hope today. We can stand on that hope today. And we desire to proclaim that hope to a world that so desperately needs to know who you are. Lord, our greatest need in the world this day is a living relationship with you. And so, Father, I pray that your word would encourage and challenge and strengthen us today and help us to understand, Lord Jesus, what this blessed hope is all about. For we pray in your name. Amen. The pastor was preparing his sermon, and his little daughter came in and said, Daddy, can we play? And he answered, I'm sorry, sweetheart, but I am preparing my sermon. I can play in about an hour, though. And she said, okay, when you're finished, Daddy, I'm going to give you a great big hug. She started to leave, and then she turned around, and she came, and she gave him a great big hug. And he said, honey, you said you are going to give me a hug after I finished. And she answered and said, Daddy... I just wanted you to know what you have to look forward to. <laughs> Only from the heart of a little child, huh? So what do you look forward to? Uh, are you like some that look forward to Friday? <laughs> look at each day of the week. Um, how many days are we away from Friday? Are you one that looks forward to supper or to a football game? There's nothing wrong with looking forward to supper or a football game or, or to Friday, but if we know Jesus as our Savior, the one thing that really ought to be on the focus of our minds is His second coming. Paul says, looking forward, looking for the blessed hope, the appearing of Jesus. We learn four things about this blessed hope. First of all, the blessed hope has 
a secure foundation. The hope that we have is built upon a secure foundation. When we use the word hope, we are usually speaking of something that really isn't certain. You know, I I hope the... Sorry, Vikings fans, but I hope the Vikings beat the Packers, or I... Or I hope the Vikings beat the Seahawks, or I hope the Vikings beat the Cardinals. Uh, Nothing certain about that, is there? We found that out the last three weeks. So when we talk about hope, we usually use it in the sense like, you know, we're crossing our fingers and say, oh, I hope this happens. But the word hope here is not anything that is uncertain. It is a certain hope. It is a secure hope. And that is the foundation of every Christian today, knowing that one day Jesus will come again, and that hope is based upon the grace of God. Verse 11 says, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all men. And when Paul says that God's grace has appeared, he's talking about Christmas, isn't he? Because that's when God's grace was made visible in the person of Jesus. Look, for example, at 2 Timothy chapter 1. In verse 9, Paul says that God has saved us, and He has called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to His own purpose and grace, which was granted us in Christ Jesus from all eternity, but now has been revealed by the appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus. Look in Titus chapter 3, verse 4, But when the kindness of God our Savior and His love for mankind appeared, He saved us not on the basis of deeds which we have done in righteousness, but according to His mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewing by the Holy Spirit, whom He poured out upon us richly through Jesus Christ. So, God's grace appeared in the person of Jesus. Remember Simeon, when he came to the temple and he he held the baby Jesus in his arms... He said, now may your servant depart in peace, for my eyes have seen, holding this baby in his arms, my eyes have seen your salvation. So with the coming of Jesus, God's grace appeared. And it came with the power to save us from our sin. That's why Paul says that the grace of God brings salvation. If our hope of salvation in any way depended upon us, it would not be built on a secure foundation. And I'm reminded of this every Christmas when you hear some of the stupid Christmas songs that are played. Like, uh, Santa Claus is coming to town. He's making his list. He's checking it twice. He's going to find out who's naughty and nice. So what if you're naughty? Are you naughty? Are you sinful? Have you fallen short of the glory of God? That includes all of us. So what does that mean? Santa Claus knows nothing of grace. 
Aren't you glad that God isn't like this? Although I am a sinner, I can still have hope because my hope is built upon the grace of God. God's unmerited favor gives me a secure foundation. We stand in grace, Romans 5 says, and then we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. The blessed hope has a secure foundation. Does this mean then that God just overlooks my sin? Does this mean that my sin doesn't matter? Absolutely not, because Paul goes on to say, secondly, that the blessed hope brings a powerful transformation. It is built on a secure foundation, and it brings a powerful transformation. God's grace, that hope, changes us. It's interesting to notice how Paul connects Christian living with the grace that Jesus brings both in his first and in his second coming. We see his first coming in verse 11, the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all men. And notice what this grace does, verse 12. It instructs us, instructing us to deny ungodliness and worldly desires and to live sensibly, righteously, and godly in this present age. And so anyone who would see God's grace as an excuse for sin doesn't understand grace. We aren't saved just from the penalty of our sin. We are saved from the power of sin. And that changes the way that we live. Listen to all Paul puts it in Romans chapter 6. He says in verse 1, What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may increase? He says, May it never be. How shall we who died to sin still live in it? Or do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus have been baptized into His death? Therefore we have been buried with Him through baptism into death, so that as Christ was raised from the dead, through the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in newness of life. So what's Paul saying there? If you've experienced the grace of God, that is not an excuse for sin. That is not an excuse to say, you know what, I'm not under the law anymore. I'm saved by grace. I can do anything I want. I know that God will forgive me anyhow. Paul says, may that never be. If you have died with Christ, and if you've been raised with Christ, you've been given a whole new life, and we are to walk then in newness of life. This grace instructs us then to deny ungodliness and to live righteously in the present age. But notice that Paul doesn't end the sentence there, because he goes on to say in verse 13, we are to deny ungodliness, we are to live righteously, as we are looking for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. You cannot read the New Testament And what it says about the return of Jesus without noticing that it has a way of changing our lives. 
If you are living in light of the return of Jesus, you're going to live differently than this world lives. And there are all kinds of passages that make that so clear. Let me just give you one example from 1 John chapter 2. In verse 28, John writes this, Now little children abide in him, so that when he appears we may have confidence and not shrink away from him in shame at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you know that everyone also who practices righteousness is born of him. And he goes on to say, he says, See how great a love the Father has bestowed on us, that we should be called children of God. And such we are, for this reason the world does not know us, because it did not know him. And he says, Beloved, now we are children of God, and it has not appeared as yet what we will be. But, when, but we know that when he appears, we will be like him, for we will see him as he is. Then John goes on to say, And everyone who has this hope fixed on him purifies himself just as he is pure. So the second coming of Jesus has an impact on the way we live now. As we look for that blessed hope, that glorious appearing of Jesus. Dr. A.J. Gordon used to tell the story of, he used to stay at a summer vacation home, and, and one uh, week he had to go back to, to Boston for some meetings. And he told his children as he left them at the train station, he told them, he said, I will expect you to be at the station watching for me when I return. Well, the children went to see him off, but they had hardly seen the train move away when they came back to the farm and they began planning for the time when dad would come back pleading with mom to wash their hands and face and comb their hair. And the mother of, uh, of the boys said that she had never seen her children so interested in soap and water in all their lives as they were then, waiting for the day when Dad would come back, waiting for the day when Jesus returns. Huh? Are you living in light of that day? Could be today. Oh, what a glorious day that will be. What's the third thing? The blessed hope, besides giving us a secure foundation and a powerful transformation, the blessed hope includes a glorious manifestation. A glorious manifestation. You know, when Jesus came to earth the first time, He came in great humility. He was born in a stable, he was raised in poverty, he was rejected by his own people, and finally he was crucified on a cross. He willingly laid aside his glory that he might die for our sins. But notice what Paul says about Jesus' second coming in verse 13. He says, we are looking for the blessed hope and the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Christ Jesus. A glorious return. 
He came the first time in humility. He will come the second time in great glory. Now, for the unbeliever, that coming of Jesus in glory will bring about their judgment. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, Paul speaks about the day when Jesus comes, verse 7, He will be revealed from heaven with His mighty angels and flaming fire, dealing out retribution to those who do not know God and to those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. These will pay the penalty of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of His power. When He comes to be glorified in His saints on that day and to be marveled at among all those who have believed. So when Jesus comes in glory, He will be glorified in His saints on that day. So the glory that Jesus will, re- will receive when He comes again is the glory that we too will share in. Think of that. We will share in His glory. Philippians chapter 3, verses 20 and 21 puts it this way. Paul says, For our citizenship is in heaven, from which also we eagerly await for a Savior, the Lord Jesus, who will transform the body of our humble state into conformity with the body of His glory. Just think of that. What kind of a body will that be? That of being like Jesus, receiving a glorious body. So when Jesus comes in glory, we will share in that glory. Listen to the words of Charles Gabriel. He says, When all my labors and trials are o'er, and I am safe on that beautiful shore, just to be near the dear Lord I adore will through the ages be glory for me. When by the gift of His infinite grace I am accorded in heaven a place, just to be there and to look on His face, will through the ages be glory for me. Friends will be there. I have loved long ago. Joy like a river around me will flow. Yet just a smile from my Savior I know will through the ages be glory for me. And the the chorus says, Oh, that will be... Glory for me, glory for me, glory for me, when by His grace I shall look on His face. That will be glory, be glory for me. Isn't that a great hope we have? To see Jesus face to face. To see those who have gone before us to meet Jesus Through the ages, through all eternity. Oh, what a glorious day that will be. The blessed hope includes a glorious manifestation. But notice finally, the blessed hope offers a universal invitation. Notice how Paul makes it very clear that Jesus came 
Jesus came for the salvation of all who would believe. He says that the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to, to all men. And that doesn't mean that all people will be saved, we know that, but the offer is given to all that, that whosoever would believe in Him will not perish. In the context, he's spoken of older men and older women, young men, young women, bond slaves, no matter who we are, that hope is offered to us today. And then he says in verse 14 that God offers forgiveness for all of our sins. That Jesus gave himself for us to redeem us from every lawless deed. Every lawless deed. And to purify for himself a people for his own possession, zealous for good deeds. So no matter who we are, no matter what we've done... The blood of Jesus can cleanse us. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. What a glorious invitation that is. And that's why our hope today, that blessed hope, is a, a secure one. Because Jesus offers salvation to all of us. Whosoever will believe on Him will not perish but have eternal life. And so I wonder, have you experienced that, that hope, that blessed hope? Are you looking forward to the day that Jesus comes again? Are you waiting to stand before Him, to see Him face to face, to thank Him for what He did for you, to save you from judgment? If you don't know Jesus, that is not a blessed hope. If you don't know Jesus, to have Him come again and you not be ready to meet Him, that is not a blessed hope. That will bring judgment. Oh, friend, you need Jesus today. And He has come to be your Savior. He died on the cross for your sins. Oh, put your trust in Him. Confess your sin. Rest in Christ and what He has done for you. That finished work on the cross. And then you'll be able to rejoice in that blessed hope, the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, the Lord Jesus. Let's pray. Lord, there are scoffers who would say, where is the promise of His coming? But you are patient. You are long-suffering. You are not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And thank you, Lord Jesus, that you have tarried to allow us to be saved. And Lord, perhaps you are waiting today for someone in this place who has not yet embraced the truth of the gospel, who has not yet invited Jesus to be their Savior and Lord. Oh, God, would you call by your Spirit, through your Word, such a one to come to you today, confessing their sins, placing their trust in Jesus Christ and in Him alone for eternal life. Lord, thank you for what you've done. Thank you for the grace that has appeared. And thank you that the grace for the grace that will be ours 
when you come again. We pray in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen.